Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you guys. What a cold November. For some of you Yankees are like, this is not cold. Me from the South, it is frigid. <laughs> if you have your Bible, says go ahead and, and turn to Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, before we get into the Word, I want to pray. But before we pray, I just want to thank all of you guys uh, that contributed to our Thanksgiving baskets. Uh, this past Saturday, uh, we were able to distribute most of them. I think almost all of them. We served 57 families. It was hopping and all of you guys serving at food pantry, uh, cooking breakfast and eating with people and hauling groceries out to people's uh, trunks and all of that. Uh, thank you so much. Praise the Lord for that opportunity of serving our community. Uh, let, let me pray for us uh, as we get into the word. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you have made yourself known to us through your word, that we don't have to look at the heavens and guess and wonder who in the world you are and what you're all about and what you're doing, but you have not only revealed yourself to us in creation, but you've also revealed yourself to us through your word. We, we can know that you are not just some distant, powerful, sovereign God in control, but you are personal and you make yourself known and that you are intricately involved in every aspect of our lives and that you are sovereignly in control of everything. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at this text, can you open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds? Well, can you help us to behold you? Can you help us to see Christ in this scripture? Can you help us to, 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 to see what, uh, how, how we see Daniel's faithfulness? Can you help us to be faithful to you in serving wherever we are? Can you confront our sins and expose it for what it is so that we don't feel condemned, but that we would run to you knowing that you have faced the condemnation? And because of you, there's no more condemnation. And for those who are far away from you, for those who do not know you, can you make yourself known, Lord? Can you open up their eyes? Can you help them to experience you in a way they've never experienced you, Lord? And can lives be transformed? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we look at the book of Daniel, um, we've seen that the book of Daniel really is an account of God's people in exile, um, but it really specifically focuses on one individual named Daniel. And, and the reason why Daniel wrote this book was not to, to write about himself, but rather he was writing to encourage God's people because God's people found themselves defeated. They found themselves in exile. And what he's trying to tell God's people is even though you might feel defeated, even though you might feel in exile, let me remind you that God is sovereignly in control and that he is working even though you might not be able to trace his hands. God is working and because he is working, because he's going to accomplish his plan and his purpose, remain faithful to him and trust in him. And one of the purposes that the Lord was working to accomplishing that even though God's people found themselves defeated and in exile and in captivity, what was God doing? 
God was using his people to serve as a witness for who he is. And so what we saw in Daniel is like one of the most powerful men on the planet in that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, gives this wonderful profession, confession of God. He says in Daniel 4, 34, 35, then, this is Nebuchadnezzar, I praise the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There's no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan worshiper who even considered himself to be God, this is what he confesses after he sees the witness of who the true living God is. And today, as we get to the infamous story of Daniel in the lion's den, we're going to see at the end of the story, we're going to see now the most powerful man, King Darius, and we're going to see the confession he makes about the one true and living God. And really what we're learning and what we're seeing in the story is that the Lord glorifies himself and he makes himself known to the nations, even through Daniel's unjust sentence. And then he saves Daniel, not from it, But he saves Daniel through it. And Daniel responds and he remains faithful to the Lord. And the Lord's name is glorified. And all the nations of the earth get to know that Daniel serves the one true living God who rules forever and has no end. And this is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. So let's look at the story a little closer and see what the Lord has for us. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. So, so let's stop here and see what we can unpack in this text and apply to our lives. So, so what's happening? King Darius, he's quick to set up his government, and we find out that Daniel was a cut above the rest. Daniel was head and shoulders above everybody else. Now, we have to understand Daniel was in his old age. He was in retirement during the reign of King Belshazzar and was taken out of retirement to interpret the dream. King Darius somehow discovered uh, Daniel and found that Daniel to be a cut above the rest. In other, and then we find out in the scripture that why what made Daniel different? The Bible says that he had an extraordinary spirit. You're like, oh, what does it mean to have an extraordinary spirit? And in other words, Daniel had a humble and wise demeanor. He had a humble and wise demeanor. And we need to remember, where did Daniel get his wisdom from? We found out in Daniel chapter 1 that the Lord had given Daniel insight, wisdom, intelligence, and ability to interpret the dream. And what did Daniel do? 
As Daniel received this gift from the Lord, as the Lord granted him favor, Daniel remained faithful to the Lord. And the reputation of Daniel preceded him. It passed on from one kingdom to another. And so it is, again, it's important for us to remember Daniel was not a cut above the rest because of his giftedness and his ability, but because of the Lord's favor in his life, giving him these gifts. Now, that doesn't take away from Daniel's responsibility because what did Daniel do receiving these gifts? He remained faithful in serving the Lord and using these gifts for his glory. And so the favor that Daniel found with King Darius resulted in envy and jealousy by the other governing officials. And the problem for these jealous officials is as they were trying to dig up dirt in Daniel's life, they could not find anything. They found him, Daniel, to be faithful in his work, to be even faithful in serving the Lord. They couldn't bring any kind of dirt on him. And so as they're looking at his faithfulness, they're saying the only way we're going to find anything if we exploit this faithfulness he has to the Lord and use it against him. And so I think the first thing that we can learn from this text and apply to our lives is this, is that if you're taking notes, is that God's people must be known for serving faithfully. God's people must be known for serving faithfully. We look at Daniel and he was known for serving faithfully, not just faithfully the Lord, but also faithfully in his work position. And so we ourselves, we, if you are God's people, you should be known for serving faithfully. Faithfully serving at your workplace. Faithfully serving in your community. Faithfully serving in your house. Faithfully serving the Lord. So the question that I might have for you this morning is, are you known for serving faithfully? And we have to remember We don't serve faithfully so that God can accept us and approve of us, but rather because he's already accepted us, because he's already approved of us through Jesus Christ, we can serve faithfully. In other words, us faithfully serving is not trying to earn anything from God, but because we've already received everything from God in light of what he's given us, we can serve faithfully. And so God's people must be known for serving faithfully. Let's look at the moves these jealous officials make against Daniel. Look at verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All, notice the word all, all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty established the edict and signed the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. And so the leaders hoped to manipulate the king that would lead to Daniel's destruction. And notice what they did to the king. They said, all the governors... All the satraps, all the officials agree that everyone should be praying to you. Is that true? No. 
Daniel was part of the officials. He did not agree to this. So they lied to the king, claiming that he should create this edict that everybody should pray to him for 30 days. And the consequences of not praying to him, they should be thrown in the lion's den. And so this nature of this request accomplishes two things. The first thing it does, it flatters the king's ego. If it flatters his ego, he's more likely to sign off on it. And the second thing it creates, it cre- by focusing on the matter of prayer, now they could use Daniel's faithfulness to the Lord who's praying every day. They could use it against him, either to prove his unfaithfulness to the Lord or to have him thrown into the lion's den. And the officials with this incentive of if you're not obeying, here's the consequences, would instill fear in people. And then they emphasized that if he signs it into law, no one can change it, not even the king. So if they could agree the king to it, Daniel will find himself in a lose-lose situation, and they will find themselves in a win-win situation. So here's the second thing we learn. Not only do we learn that as God's people, we must be known for our faithfulness, faithfully serving the Lord. But, but the second thing that we can learn also is that in our faithfulness, God's people will face opposition. Like, we would like to think that if we're faithful, that things are just going to go peachy for us. But the reality of it is, in our faithfulness, we will face opposition. What do we see in our text? Daniel is faithfully serving the Lord. He is faithfully serving the king. And what happens? Jealousy, envy, facing opposition. We, we saw it in Daniel chapter 3. We, we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing opposition. Jesus says that the world will hate you because of me. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all of you who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So as you're faithfully serving the Lord, you will face opposition. Peter even tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual will happening to you. In other words, he's saying like, if bad things are happening, if you're facing opposition to test you in a sense, why be shocked by it as if something strange happened? This is quite normal. Instead, instead of being shocked, see it as normal and then rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and the God and, and of God rests on you. So if you face opposition, don't find it unusual. Instead, rejoice. Why? Because it means you're blessed. You find honor and suffering in the name of Christ. As the law became public knowledge, let's let's look at how Daniel responded. Look, Look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. 
Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands as irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed for, the, for, for, the edict you signed for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So how, how does Daniel respond to this opposition. He does what he always does. What has he always done? He would go into his house. He would open up the bedroom window facing Jerusalem. And he would pray three times a day. In other words, Daniel continued in his devotion, continued in his faithfulness, continued in his obedience. His relationship with the Lord wasn't a crisis-oriented relationship. But rather, it was a consistent walk with the Lord. In other words, what I mean by that is relationship wasn't a crisis-oriented relationship. How many times do we find ourselves in a crisis and what do we do? All of a sudden, we, we go to the Lord in prayer. All of a sudden, we take the dust of our Bibles and, and blow it off and open up and trying to find answers and reasons and all kinds of things, saying, Lord, I need you. And then the Lord delivers you. And what happens? Put it back on the shelf and you move on. But yet, what did Daniel do? Daniel has always faithfully served the Lord, walking in obedience, trusting in him, pursuing him. And when crisis occurred... It prepared him for the crisis rather than he just respond to the crisis with more crisis because he was walking with the Lord. Um, now, you've noticed in our text that kind of detail where, where Daniel uh, went into his upper room and opened up the window towards Jerusalem. And you're wondering, like, like that's kind of weird. Like, why would he do it? Because doesn't Jesus say, if you pray, go into your closet? Why does, he, why does he just go into his closet? Why does he open up the windows towards Jerusalem? And here's what we have to understand. The opening of the windows towards Jerusalem was a sign of hope that the Lord will bring back the exiles into the promised land. You're like, well, where do I get that from? Well, I get it from, from the Bible. Uh, Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 48 to 50, after King Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed this prayer, and this is what he says in this prayer. And notice the prophetic word, and notice what's happening in Daniel. Solomon prays this after the dedication of the new temple. And when they, that's the people of God, Return to you with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive. And when they pray to you in the direction of their land that you gave their ancestors, the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and petition, and uphold their cause. May you forgive the people who sinned against you and the rebellion against you, and may you grant them compassion before their captors so that they may be treated with compassion. 
Solomon predicts what's going to happen. God's people are going to be sent into captivity. And when God's people are sent into captivity, what are they going to do? They're going to plead to the Lord. They're going to face the direction of the temple, of the city of God, the place where God dwells. Why? It's a sign of hope that God is faithful in keeping his promise. So when Daniel is doing it, what is he clinging to? He's clinging to the Lord's faithfulness. He's clinging to the prayer of Solomon that the Lord is going to bring his people back as he looks towards Jerusalem, the city of God, the temple of God, believing that God has not abandoned us into captivity, into exile, but he is faithful in keeping his promises. And now that Babylon has fallen in in, in Daniel's mind, the return is imminent. But what's he doing? He's pleading. He's clinging to the Lord. Remain faithful to your promise. Send us out of exile back into the promised land. Back into your presence. Trusting that the Lord is going to keep his promise. Now, we don't know how long he prayed, or how long he practiced the three times a day, and even what he prayed for. And I don't want to even speculate, but what we do know is this. Daniel was a man of prayer. He depended on the Lord. And so here's the the, the third thing that we can learn if you're taking notes not only should we as God's people be known for our faithfulness, and in our faithfulness we're going to face opposition, but the third thing, if you're taking note, is this, is that God's people must remain faithful no matter the cost. God's people must remain faithful no matter the cost. Like, Daniel knew the cost of remaining faithful. He knew what it would cost him. It would cost him his life. And and for us applying this text to our lives, like our faithfulness cannot be dependent on the cost. Like we have to be faithful regardless of the cost. This is why Jesus says, consider the cost before you follow me. Like sometimes following Jesus and remaining faithful to the Lord will cost you something. It will cost you your life. Like, like, I would love to tell you, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. No, it might not be fine. It might be awful. It will cost you something. And in that midst, are we trusting in the Lord? Are we clinging to him, believing that what he has promised us is so much better than this world could ever offer us? You see, what we see in the text, what we see in Daniel, is that Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity, but rather adversity is revealing the true Christian character. In other words, if you want to know what you're made of, go through adversity. If you want to know really what you believe and what you cling to and what your hope is in, go through adversity because adversity exposes that. And, and, and in a sense, it's for our good because how, how many of you, you don't want to cling on to something that is wrong and then right before the end you come before the Lord and you were clinging on all the other things. But what does the Lord do through adversity? He is gracious in exposing it and showing you what your hope is truly in. And in that, he takes that away and graciously says, come and trust me. Follow me. Be faithful to me.
Daniel's enemies, they knew what Daniel was going to do. They were waiting for him. And they, go, they went to the king, and maybe they were a little shocked with how reluctant the king was. Maybe they were hoping that the king, in, in rage, would just say, you know, Daniel, just throw him in the lion's den. How dare he does these things? But we find that the king kind of set his mind on delivering Daniel, and yet the accusers will have none of it, saying, look, what you wrote into law, what you signed into law cannot be changed. Not even you can change it. And so let's look at the price that Daniel paid faithfully serving the Lord. Look at, look at verse 16. It says this, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed for he trusted in his God. The king who gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Bound up by royal decree, nothing could be done for Daniel. He was thrown in the den. The stone was set and sealed. And we read that the king was so distressed, he was so overwhelmed that he didn't have an appetite. His mind was so preoccupied that he could not sleep. At daybreak, he had such a concern for Daniel that he didn't send a messenger to go see if Daniel was alive, but he himself ran to the lion's den, to the stone, to see if Daniel was alive. He knew that Daniel served the God, but he did not know if Daniel's God had the power to shut the mouths of lions. Until Daniel said, my king, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. In other words, Daniel was saying, look, the lions didn't spare me because I fought them off and used some duct tape to, duct, to shut their mouths and it was just a touch and go from the beginning. No, he shut their mouths. They barely looked at me. They barely touched me because they could not do a single thing. Daniel said, the reason why is the Lord delivered me because I was innocent. The Lord vindicated me because I've not sinned against God, nor have I sinned against you. I've no, done no harm against you. 
And we see how the Lord rescued and vindicated Daniel. And so the the fourth thing that we're learning that as we're known for our faithfulness in our face of opposition, paying the price, we learn that our Lord rescues his people. The Lord rescues his people. We see in our text, the Lord rescues Daniel. Now, we should not presume that our obedience and our faithfulness to the Lord will lead to an earthly rescue in the case of Daniel. And then Daniel prospered, and then we applied and say, see, if you're faithful, the Lord will rescue, and then you will prosper. No. But rather, we need to be reminded, as God's people, He has already rescued us. He's rescued us from the the penalty of sin. The wrath of God was satisfied. He's right now in the process of rescuing us from the power of sin. And one day the ultimate rescue is going to take place where he will rescue us from the very presence of sin, where sin, Satan, and death will once and for all completely be destroyed. But it doesn't change the truth that the Lord rescues his people. And and we even see this in in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, it kind of talks about the, the heroes of the faith. And then at the last part, in verse 33, it says this, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Uh, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received the dead, raised to life again. And we're like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. But then the author keeps going. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experience mocking and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. So some of God's people were rescued here on earth and did mighty things. And some of God's people experienced one of the most horrendous deaths. And what does that mean? The Lord didn't rescue them? No. Their ultimate rescue is at the resurrection. when he makes all things new with the very presence of sin is completely destroyed, and he vindicates his people. And in a sense, he's already done it. In a sense, he's doing it right now. And in a sense, he is going to do it once and for all. So in this unjust sentence of Daniel, in the deliverance of Daniel, I think here's the main part of the text. Remember in the beginning of the sermon, we said, what's the purpose? What is God doing in the book of Daniel? Even though God's people, is they're in captivity, what's the Lord doing? He's making himself known among the nations. We saw King Nebuchadnezzar's confession, and now through the story, what's happening? Look at Darius's confession. Look at how he gets to know the true living God. Verse 25 says this. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth. May your prosperity abound. 
I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his, his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions." So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The king was so impressed by God's intervention and deliverance of Daniel that he wanted his entire kingdom, all of those who are under his rule and reign, respond to the God of Daniel in an appropriate way. And look at the text. Well, what's the appropriate way? How do you respond to this God? In fear and trembling. Why? Because he is the true living God. He lives forever. And because he endures, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His rule shall have no end. Now, now this is very significant that Darius is saying it because by him claiming that God who lives forever, his kingdom will endure, his rule will have no end. He is implying that that's for God, but for him, what's going to happen to his kingdom? It's not going to last. Why? Because he will not be able to live forever, which means his kingdom will not live forever. And then he, 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 he says this, that, The Lord is a delivering and rescuing God. He performs signs and wonders, mighty supernatural acts, not just in heaven. In other words, he's not just limited to a certain space, but in heaven as well as on earth. For the Lord has made himself known, showed Through this unjust sentence of Daniel, the adversary and suffering of Daniel, the Lord had glorified himself, showing him to be the true mighty God, prevailing over the conspiracy of the high officials, the concession of a reluctant kin, and the appetite of savage beasts. All should fear and tremble before the Lord. So throughout the sermon, we've, we've talked about application here. We said the application that we can apply to our lives is that as God's people, we should be known for, for faithfully serving the Lord. And in our faithfulness of serving the Lord, we're going to face opposition. And yet in the midst of this, we have to continually serve the Lord no matter the cost. Trusting and believing that the Lord rescues he delivers. Now, it's, it's easy for us to, to look at the story and say, you know, we just need to be like Daniel. And in a sense, I think Daniel is a good role model to look up. But you know what's really happening in this text? This text is not about Daniel. This text is a shadow. Theologians call it a topology, a type of a greater Daniel that is coming. I want to show you the the similarities between the story of Daniel and the greater Daniel, whose name is Jesus. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, what, what was he? He remained faithful and obedient to the Lord. 
This morning I was reading Luke chapter 3, and the end of Luke chapter 3, it said that Jesus found favor with man and God and grew in wisdom. He was loved by many, and he could draw a crowd. And yet there were people that despised him. They tried to investigate his life. They tried to trap him by twisting his words. And what were they unable to do? They weren't unable to trap him. Every time they would confront him and question him, they would always walk away like idiots. Oh man, we got nothing against him. And then they would finally conspire and say, we got no evidence. We need to figure out a way to kill him. So they unjustly arrested him made up false accusations. They unjustly tried him. They eventually brought him before Pilate. And what did Pilate wanted to do? Like King Darius, Pilate wanted to kind of get rid of him and say, look, I find no reason for why this man must be put to death. I'll flog him, but that's about it. This man is innocent. What should I do with him? And what did the officials say that was conspiring against Jesus? They manipulated and then they intimidated Pilate and saying, if you release him, you are an enemy of Caesar for he is claiming to be God. And Pilate, he cared more about his career than sparing the life of an innocent man. So what did he do? He washed his hands and said, look, it's, your blood is on your hands. But yet he sentenced Jesus to the cross. His fate was sealed. He would die on the cross. And what did they do? They put him in a tomb. A stone will be rolled in front of the tomb. Guards will guard the tomb. In other words, Jesus is dead. His fate is sealed. Nothing can be done about it. Just like Daniel. Darius, at daybreak, what did he do? He got up. He ran to the tomb. And what happened in Matthew 28? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, at daybreak, ran up to go to the tomb. And what did they find? They found the stone rolled away. They found Jesus' body is gone. He is not dead, but he is Alive. Why? Because God had vindicated his son. God has raised his son from the dead. And through his death and through his resurrection, he conquered death, paid for the penalty of our sins, satisfied the wrath of God. And not only was Jesus delivered, but through his death, he delivered people. And what was the end result? The end result was not just the deliverance of his people, but the glorification of God. And what happened after Daniel was delivered? King Darius issued a decree glorifying God. And what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? God's name was glorified. Why? Because you want to see God's glory displayed, his goodness displayed. You see it at the cross. 
You see Jesus' name being exalted above any other name where Paul would say, there is, he, there is salvation and no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Sorry, that was Peter in Acts 4. Paul says in Philippians, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here is the decree. How do we respond to this God? In fear and trembling. In other words, we come before him as the ones who've conspired against him and we lay down our lives in submission and obedience to him as the one and only God. And Paul says in Philippians, you can do it now or you can do it later. You're going to do it one day. Do it now before time is up. This is what Daniel and the lion's den is all about. It's a shadow. It's a picture of the greater Daniel, Jesus coming to deliver his people, to deliver me and you. Look to him, trust him, respond to him in fear and trembling as you receive this gift of grace. In our time of confession and assurance, Romans 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. For if you confess and believe, you will not be put to shame. Confess who? Believe in what? Jesus Christ, the ultimate Savior who died for you. Let me pray for us, and I want to give you some time to confess and believe. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you are a living God, a God who is in control of everything, a God that rescues and delivers his people. Lord, thank you that you have rescued and delivered us through your son, Jesus, who was unjustly tried and executed. And you've vindicated him and you've exalted him above every name so that salvation can be found in him and in him alone. Help us to respond to this salvation in believing, confessing, and trusting. And help those to believe, help those to confess you, to trust you. As we continue to pray, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Why don't you do so this morning? Look to him, believe in him. That he took all of your sins and paid for it in full. And he's offering your salvation, acceptance before God. Not because of anything you've done, but by his grace, through the work of his son. And you receive this gift by faith. It's just simply receiving, admitting, ah, I need a Savior because I have rebelled against the Holy God and I deserve death. 
This morning, can you surrender? Can you make Jesus your Lord and Savior? For the rest of you, if you're, if you're a Christian, maybe you can meditate on how faithfully the Lord has served you. He's provided for you a salvation. And because he has faithfully provided for your salvation, even in your unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. Would you ask the Lord to help you to faithfully serve him, to faithfully walk in obedience to him? Maybe there's an area in your life that you've been unfaithful to the Lord. Maybe you should ask the Lord to help you to surrender that area of your life. so that you can be marked by faithfulness because you serve a faithful Savior. As we get to the table, we're reminded of our faithful Savior who went to the cross for our sins. His body was given to us, his blood was shed for us so that we can be accepted by God. We can be brought into his family. And Paul even says in Romans 5, like while we were still sinners, enemies of God, that's when he did it. The Lord is faithful. And this table reminds us of his faithfulness. When we find ourselves in adversity and we find ourselves in suffering, the thoughts, I don't know about you, at least crosses my mind. Is the Lord faithful? Will the Lord be with me in this situation? Will he rescue me? And the answer is yes. And the table reminds us of his faithfulness. He made a promise to Abraham and he kept his promise. And this table reminds us of the promise he made and the promise he kept new covenant we have in Christ. So as we get ready to distribute these elements, reflect on the Lord's faithfulness on the cross, how he bought us, saved us, and redeemed us, and now we belong to him. He kept his promise, and he's going to keep his promise when he comes back and make all things new. Let's go ahead and distribute these elements. Did everybody receive the elements? The Lord is faithful in keeping his promises. He promised a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, a prophet, priest, and king. And he came. He delivered. He rescued. He's the ultimate prophet, for he is the word of the Lord. He's the ultimate priest that made a sacrifice once and for all. And he is the ultimate king that will sit on the throne forever and ever. How do we know this? We're reminded by these elements, the promise he has made that points to his word that was declared. And so this, in a sense, ministers to our senses. We touch it, we see it, we smell it, and we taste it. It's more than just a word we heard. But he gives us something to look at. But this is just a shadow of what is to come. But in the meantime, we look at the substance Christ as we look at the shadow and we say, thank you. His body was given to us. Eat it in remembrance of him.
His blood was shed for us. Drink it in remembrance of him. Can you just take time right now and just thank the Lord for his faithfulness? Lord Jesus, thank you that you remain faithful. You are our faithful prophet, our faithful priest, our faithful king. Lord, help us to look to you, help us to trust in you. Help us to turn our eyes to you. When we find ourselves struggling, we find ourselves facing adversity, we find ourselves suffering help us to be reminded of your faithfulness you will never forsake us you will never leave us you will never abandon us and even in our unfaithfulness you remain faithful for we are united with you we are one with you and to abandon us is to abandon yourself something you cannot do so help us lord to trust in you cling to you our wonderful savior We love you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and can we worship our Savior and Deliverer?